All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, if you're new with us. Uh, we love it that you're here. We'd love to meet you after the service. We have some fun things planned after the service, ping pong and cornhole and pizza. And so stay, meet somebody new today. Uh, but as you saw in that video, we're starting a new series as we start the new year on prayer. And we're going to get into more of what that's going to look like. And it's going to be four weeks. But, but what I'm really excited about is we're not going to just learn about prayer on a Sunday. We're going to experience prayer daily in our lives. And we're going to do that uh, through this. You should have gotten this guide when you walked in. It's a 21-day a prayer and fasting guide. In fact, if you got that, would you hold it up? Let me know you got it. A lot of you guys got that. If you didn't get one, we ordered plenty of these because we want you to have one. Again, a, an hour on a Sunday isn't enough to change our prayer lives. It's not enough to inform and affect our prayer lives. It's not enough, right? So we want to equip you throughout the week, and this is one way to do that. I'm going to talk more about how you can use that later on in the sermon, but make sure you get one of those and go on this journey with us. But as you think about prayer, the, the idea of prayer is often really popular, right, in our culture. I mean, you hear things on the news, and you have no idea, idea of their spiritual background or religious faith, but you hear people say on the news, like, our our thoughts and prayers are, are with them. You see it all over social media. You see hashtag thoughts and prayers as tragedies in our world happen, which a lot of them have happened recently in hurricanes and, and racism and all these different things that are going on. And you often see on social media, hashtag pray for blank. Uh, you'll often see it even with, with non-believers on social media, people you're looking at and you're like, ah, you don't go to church. You're not a Christian, and they'll just be like, hashtag good vibes, whatever that means, right? And so the idea of prayer, the concept is, is popular, but, but I often see that the power and practice of it is, is lacking, right? And not just out there, I think even in this room, right? That if, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you believe in the importance and the power and the practice of prayer? Many hands would go up in this room. But if I were to also ask, how many of you are reflecting that in your daily life, functionally praying to God, operating as if you believe that, how many hands would go up? Not many. And so there's a disconnect between the idea of prayer and the practice and the power of prayer in our lives. And, and over the course of this series, my prayer is that that changes. That we don't just think of prayer as a good thing to do. We, we practice it functionally in our lives and we get to see its power. And that's where we're going to start today is looking at the power of prayer. Uh, I have three kids, and, and one of my favorite things about all my kids is when they're little and when they start speaking, when they just start talking about stuff. Like my two-year-old right now, she's in this season. So the other day in the backyard, she said, you know, Daddy, i got to go get some gas. I'll be right back. Very practical for my two-year-old. I'm thankful that she can do that for us already, right? Good job, Jaya. But, but the other day also, she, she was playing with a little doll, and she said, Daddy, um, I'm going on my little date. And I didn't like her speaking that very much. In fact, we're erasing that from her vocabulary as we speak, right? But we like to hear our kids speak when they start speaking, even, even if it's not a good thing. Like if your kid is crying hysterically, what do you do? You get down on a knee, and you say, sweetie, what's wrong? You need some milk? You got a dirty diaper, you don't feel well, your tummy hurts, your brother hits you again. I, what's wrong? Just, just tell daddy, what's wrong? You see, as a parent, you, you want to hear your kids speak, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you, you want to hear from them. And as we look at our passage today, James is going to say that prayer is like that. That we have 
God, a father in heaven who wants to hear his kids speak. And no matter the circumstance, no matter if it's good or bad, you see it in the passage. Look at it with me. James 5, it's towards the end of your Bible. If you don't have one, we mentioned it earlier, but grab one right around you. You can look on the screen if you want. We really would love for you to open God's word, though, uh, even if you have to do that on a nap. Open God's word. Get there with us. James chapter 5. We see this, verse 13. It says, is any one of you suffering? You should pray. Be cheerful, be joyful. You should sing praise. Later it says, if you're sick, pray. Even later it says, if you're in sin, to confess and pray. And what I love about this is James just addressed every single person in this room. With those four categories, he just addressed all of us in this room, that, that all of us are in at least one of these places. And that's the first thing I want you to see this morning. If you take notes in your bulletin, you can write this down or right next to the verse. The first point I want you to see is that the power of prayer is for every season. The power of prayer is for every season. It's for suffering. That word in that text, in the original language, it combines two words of experience and bad. And so James is saying, hey, if you're going through something that's not ideal, if it's, if it's difficult, if it's a trial and a hardship that you're actually experiencing, walking through, if you're suffering, you should pray. And notice it doesn't say if you're going through really intense suffering, pray. We're really good at that, right? A tragedy happens in our world and people are suffering and we think, man, we should really pray. Something happens really bad in your life, and it's extreme, and you think, man, maybe this is getting serious, our last resort. Maybe we should pray. But James doesn't make a distinction. It's any suffering that you experience, great or small, you should pray. And you see, I think we have a a problem with this in our heads because we see God just as a king. You see, in Scripture, we get several depictions of who God is. He's, He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords, right? But he's also our heavenly father. In the Lord's Prayer, we're going to look at that next week, over and over, Jesus identifies God as as Father. So God is King, but he's also Father. And I think for most of us, we we just see him as King. And so we think, okay, if things are getting really bad, then I'll make an appointment with the King. Because you can't just walk into the throne room of the King just for anything, right? Just for some little old suffering that you're experiencing. you you got to make an appointment. It's got to be something big. And listen, that's true if you're a servant of the King. But it changes a little bit if you're not just a servant of the king, but you're a child of a father. It changes when the the king is also your dad. You see the son or daughter of a king, he can run in that throne room anytime he wants. Big or small. Good time of the day. You got an hour to pour out your thoughts. You got a, a journal sitting out and you're writing through it or you're sitting beside a river Or you just got five minutes in your car and you say, God, I need your help. God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Father in heaven, I need your help in this moment. Listen, if you know Jesus, this is amazing. As we think about the power of prayer, you have access to the King of kings, the King of the universe, like a child has access to his father. That's what Hebrews 4 talks about when it says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I love this. John Wesley, an old English theologian, said this. He said, we storm the throne with our request. Can you just picture that? 
Can you picture a throne and a storming the throne, running after the throne at all times of day with all needs that we have, that we, we storm the throne of grace with confidence because God is king, but he's also father. There's power in that. There's power in seasons of joy. He says, if you're cheerful, sing praises, tell God you're joyful. Tell God what you, what you love about him and what he's doing in your life. Psalm 149 says this, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. This God, this king, this father, he takes pleasure in you. He wants to hear, not just when things are going awry, he wants to hear when things are good. He wants you to come to him even when the things are just great. You say, Tim, Things are going well. My semester's off to a good start. My job is going well. I just got the promotion. The family's healthy. Great. Tell God that. I'm growing a little bit. I'm actually excited about this prayer series. Tell God that. God wants to hear every season, every situation in your life. And some of you think, well, Tim, I'm not in that category. Some people probably are in this place. They look nice. Things are going well for them, but, but not me. And first, here's a disclaimer. If you're new to our church, we're not as spiritual as we look. I'm not as spiritual as I look. That all of us in here on some level are a mess. But we can still have joy. Because as we look at James talking about joy, as we look at the Bible talking about joy, it's not always external, it's always internal. And maybe external comes and goes, but you always have internal joy. That's why in James 1, he says, rejoice when you face trials. Same author. He says, you can rejoice when you face trials. Why? Because it produces steadfastness, he says. That even when we go through external trials that don't make us joyful, we can have an internal joy because we know, God, you're producing steadfastness in my life. You're building me up. You're taking me somewhere that for the Christian, no pain is pointless. He's forming you. He's shaping you. And as you realize that, you can have joy, even if externally not everything is great. And so that's the kind of joy we have. I want to challenge you this morning, some of you, if you know Jesus, you know joy. You have a reason to sing praises to God. Earlier, before the sermon, after the sermon, during your week, you have a reason to thank God for your breath and your lungs, that his mercies are new, that you have as a child of God every spiritual blessing available to you, even when things on the outside don't look great. Right? And some of you need to rekindle that joy. So you can praise God in every situation. I think of our college students in this and the power of this, of praising God in our joy. Our college students, welcome back, guys. A lot of you guys are back for a new semester. It's good to have you guys. And I think, guys, just so you know, when you're not here, things are different. Right? You guys come, and typically, I don't know if you can see this, they're sitting on the front couple rows, and they sing praises to God. And I doubt everything externally is okay. But internally, they have a joy. Listen, that's powerful. It's contagious. I get to sit on the front row and hear you guys. They even clap a hand sometimes, shake a leg. And some of you guys are like, that's not contagious for me. I'm not doing that. But in some churches, they do that kind of thing. In some churches, that's contagious. It's powerful. Because we see the power of, of praising God, of, of men and women who stand up in this room, who raise their hands high. The affections of their heart begin to well up, not because everything externally is okay, but because internally they know the God of the universe is building them up through those situations. That's powerful, amen? 
And so it's contagious, and we start to sing as well. We should start to sing as well because there's power in praying in, in every season, suffering and joy. There's power in praying when you're sick. Look at verse 14 and 15. You see two phrases that jump out, anoint with oil and the prayer of faith when you're sick. Anointing with oil. This was typically in the old days in the ancient world. This could be medicinal. That sometimes rubbing oil on the head or a certain part of the body would, would help medicinally. But it was often symbolic. You see over and over in scripture that oil would consecrate you, set you apart unto the Lord, that you declare that you're his. That that sickness, God is aware of that. You're consecrated. You're set apart. When we put oil on a, on a forehead, even when we do that today, that's what we're saying about about that person. And so listen, as a pastor, I do this. Sometimes I go into a hospital and I take a little thing of oil and, I, and as I'm praying, I, I put it on their forehead and ask God, God, this is your child. You're the king of this child, of this situation, of this sickness. And, and we ask God to heal them. And it's not magical. It's maybe if you've seen on TV and somebody's trying to get you to order 1995, your special thing of oil, don't, you know, just take your olive oil and pour it out. It's cheaper that way. Okay, It's not magical, but it's a symbolic way to consecrate that person and say, this person is yours. And so we anoint with oil when people are sick. We, we pray with a prayer of faith. That's a, a confident expectation. It's not a demanding, it's an expecting. Right? Again, some of us have watched too much TV, and we, we've seen people stand up and get really loud and say, Jesus, I demand that you heal this person. I command you, Jesus, and everybody gets really excited about that. Listen, that, that person's not God. God is God. And so we don't demand, but we do expect. We expect with a confident expectation. That's what a prayer of faith is. You see a great example of this in Daniel chapter 3 in the Old Testament. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar is about to throw them in a fiery furnace for not worshiping their own gods and idols. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's really powerful. Daniel chapter 3, you should read it. They say, God, we believe you can save us. And we believe you will save us. But that even if you don't, we're not going to bow down to these idols. That's a perfect example of what James is talking about, a prayer of faith, of confident expectation, that the implication there is this. That we're expectant as people of faith that God can heal now or in eternity. But he will heal. God will heal right there in the moment. He'll take away the sickness. Or he'll heal one day in eternity. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll take away every pain. But it will happen. God, I believe you You can. I believe you will. But even if you don't, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to praise you. There's power in a prayer of faith in the midst of sickness. We've seen this even in our church in little things and big things. I've seen this in my life. Last uh, Sunday, I wasn't here. I was preaching at another church. And a friend of ours, another church in the valley, and it was an amazing thing to be able to do that. But the week leading up to that Sunday, my voice was going. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I kind of need my vocal cords. And uh, so I asked some people during the week to, hey, hey would you pray for me? i got to preach two services on Sunday, and my voice just keeps going out. And, and then even Saturday night, I was sipping the hot tea and lemon, right? And on Sunday morning, my, my voice was back. I was able to preach two services, and it was booming, and it was great. 
Because people stepped in and they, and they prayed. Just something little like my voice. We've seen it in bigger ways. Like a little girl in our church, when she was really little, she had this debilitating disease where she couldn't walk. She lost strength in her legs. It's just a little baby. And she couldn't walk around. I remember going to the hospital, and she was just crawling around in the crib. She used to be able to walk, and she couldn't anymore. And we prayed for her. We, we rubbed the oil on the forehead. We prayed in faith with confident expectation. God, I believe you can. I believe you will. But even if you don't, we're still going to worship you, the King of kings, the Father in heaven. But over time, through prayers, through medicine, God healed her. And if you were to see this little girl today, it's a few years later, she'd be running around like crazy. She'd be jumping around doing jumping jacks. She can, she can use her legs. Because we believe God, God heals through the prayer of faith. Now, some of you are thinking this. Well, Tim, that, you know, that was probably the medicine, right? I mean, how do you know if it was prayer or the medicine or, or what? And listen, you need to know this. I don't care. God uses medicine. God uses a doctor. God uses prayer. He works through it all. It's not disconnected. And it's not disconnected in Scripture either. You see things like Paul, the Apostle Paul, tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach to help heal. You see Luke, who wrote the majority of our New Testament as far as content. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the whole book of Acts. Luke was a medical doctor who had faith, who shared stories. Think about this, Luke and Acts. How many stories of miraculous healings do you see? And Luke is a medical doctor writing this. He didn't say, ah, oh, that's, I don't know if we can really trust that. No, he said, it's both. It's medicine, it's, it's faith, it's prayer, and doctors, and the whole thing. God uses it all. So listen, today, if you are sick, you should go to the doctor, right? If you are sick, though, you should also have some people pray for you. And have a confident expectation that God can, can use that. But you should do both. It's not that if you're really spiritual and if you'd really trust Jesus, you don't need the amoxicillin in Jesus' name. It's not that. Get the amoxicillin and pray. Right? God uses it all. There's power when we pray in every season. There's power when we pray in our sin. Look at the end of verse 15 and 16. You see, we pray to receive forgiveness and healing for sin. We're going to talk more about this, but the power of prayer isn't limited to physical. It's it's also spiritual. God doesn't just heal our bodies. He heals our souls. He forgives us of our sin through prayer. That prayer is powerful in every season. Second thing I want you to see is that the power of prayer is personal and communal. If you'll notice, verse 13, go back to that verse. It says, let him pray. Let him give praise. There's power when you pray Personally, it's interesting. Historically, they called James, the author of this book, Camel Knees. To which I first read that and I thought, well, that's kind of rude. But then you, you read on and you hear they called James Camel Knees. He was known for that because he was on his knees, kneeling down in prayer so often that he began to develop thick calluses on his knees because he prayed powerfully, personally in his life. You see this with a lady named Hannah in the Old Testament. She prayed so long, people thought she was drunk. They said, you need to lay off the bottle. And she's like, no, I'm just pouring my heart out to God. There's power when you pray personally. There's also power when you pray communally. Verse 14, 
We see if we're sick, we should call the elders. That's the leaders of the church, and they will pray for us. So you pray by yourself. There's power in that. But you also pray communally. You ask the leaders of the church to come and pray over you, and there's power in that as well. Again, we, we've seen this. Uh, my wife and I, when we were in Portland, the church we were a part of there, we went sledding one day at Mount Hood in Portland. And it was a great day. We were there with two families. And it was one of those things that happens every time, right? The last uh, run of the day, we're like, oh, we should probably go. Just drink some hot chocolate. Call it a day. It's been a great day. But the last run of the day, we're walking out, and we see this hill. And we think, we need to jump off that hill. We need to take the sleds, and how awesome would that be? We're going to go flying off that hill. Let's, let's do that, and then we'll go drink our hot chocolate. Can you see where this is going? So we all go down the hill, and it's actually amazing for a little while. We're all catching this amazing air and going back down. It's awesome. And then the last person to go for the day was my wife. And listen, it was like R. Kelly, I believe I can fly. I mean, she was soaring, spreading her wings. I mean, it was amazing. All of us, literally, in that moment, as we saw my wife go up, we were like, oh, Jaya, go, Jaya. It was amazing until just a few moments later, it happened really fast, she hit a stump. You see, the snow wasn't very deep, and so she hit this stump. It shredded the sled. My wife was like completely out of breath, just laying at the end of a mountain. And we were like, I believe I can fly to like, are you okay? And she broke uh, the L1 and L2, I think, the transverse processes, L3 and L4. You should probably know that. The transverse processes that stick out from your vertebrae, she broke both of those in her L3 and L4. And so we didn't go get hot chocolate after that. Uh, we went to the doctor. And by God's grace, she didn't have to have surgery, and they just said, hey, you need to heal up. It'll probably take three to four months, and you'll be walking around, and everything will be great again. Well, a couple weeks go by. We have two kids at that time, and, and we're getting help from people, but we need some more help. You know what I'm saying? And so my wife is kind of laid up in the bed, and so we called the elders of the church that we were part of and said, hey, hey would you come pray for Jaya? And they did, and they came, and they anointed oil. We prayed with faith. All of us did, and we said with confident expectation, God, we believe that you're going to heal Jaya. And I can't tell you, listen, I can't tell you that the next day she got out of bed and started doing jumping jacks, right? I can't tell you that. That's not what happened. But I can't tell you that the next day she didn't need a pain pill for the first time in two weeks. I can't tell you literally the next day she was walking around. Still hurt. But she was able to function. The day before she was bedridden. The next day something happened. God moved. And he began to heal her over time. God works, God's powerful through personal prayer and communal prayer. But it's not just the elders or leaders of a church. Verse 16, look at that verse. It says, you confess your sins to one another. You pray for one another. That there's power in just other people locking arms with you and saying, hey, I want to share in your burden with you. There's power in that. And just like there's power in the one another's, there's also weakness in the isolation. We see this in David in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept quiet about my sin, my bones wasted away. That when you're in an isolated place, when you're not inviting the elders, you're not inviting other people into your life, specifically into your sin, that it affects you. 
David says his bones are wasting away. This is not just spiritual at this point. This is physical. This is emotional. This is psychological. That You're struggling because you're not sharing. Right? And I don't have to give you, like, stats to prove this. Some of you just know this by experience. Some of you are there right now. I mean, you got some deep, dark secrets that you don't share with anybody. you got some sins in your life, some recurring sins. You think, Tim, I'm going to keep those to myself. I mean, one day God will break me free from that, but I'm going to keep it to myself. And, and you don't know what you don't know because you don't have other people speaking into your life, coming alongside you, confessing, praying for one another, and you're weak. And if you're honest this morning, some of you who are in that place, you're like David. You would say, my bones are wasting away. I know I need to share this with somebody, but I'm not. And, and James is going to say, there's power in communal prayer. And so if that's you this morning, you don't need to talk to everyone, but you do need to talk to someone. You need to find someone that you trust who loves you. And the reality is, is you have to cultivate this. The reality is, most of us don't do this because we don't cultivate it. Like even right now, you're thinking, well, Tim, yes, I do have some sin in my life. I could use some prayer, some confession with other people. Like, I believe that uh, ethereally, but, but who is that going to be? I mean, I don't want to just turn to the person to my left or to my right and say, let me just share my darkest, deepest sin with you. By the way, my name's Tim. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Imagine if I asked you to do that. Some of you are like, please don't do that, Pastor Tim. And, and I'm not going to do that. You're safe. But I would say, begin to cultivate this. Yeah, it's not going to just be like, hey, that person, or hey, the person right next to me, maybe. But there will be people in your life if you begin to cultivate this, if you develop those relationships intentionally, persistently, you have to do that. And not always looking for the ideal. I know for me, the first time I had one of these relationships, it was totally off my radar. It wasn't the guy I thought who would come alongside me that I could confess and pray with. It wasn't that guy. It was a guy named Butch. First of all, Butch, right? Wasn't the guy I pictured of like sharing my life with and praying together. But I began to live life with this guy. And, and I remember he was like, you know, I'm just really into math. And I was like, well, that's an option, I guess, in life to be into math. I don't get that. And I, and I would just think, this is not the guy, but God just began to lead me down this path. And this guy and I, we began to look at scripture together and pray together and hang out together. I learned he didn't just like math. He liked sports. So we could connect and, and on some other things. And he became one of the most impactful people in my life because I began to confess my sin to him and pray with him. It wasn't the ideal person that I thought, but it was who God brought in my life because it began to be cultivated. Are you cultivating this? Are you in a community group during the week where you're cultivating this? Are you looking around today for people, maybe you just don't walk up to and cold share everything with them, but you say, Tim, I'm going to stay after the service. We're having pizza and cornhole and ping pong. There's lots of stuff uh, over there. I'm going to stay, and you know, I would normally just bolt because people scare me that you would stop and say, no, 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 I know that's what I normally do, but that's why my bones are wasting away. It's not working. And so this year, 2018, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to stay, something as little as staying for pizza and games, and I'm going to talk to somebody. And maybe over time, God will develop that relationship, and we can share with one another and pray with one another with our sins so that we can be forgiven 
so that we can experience the power that James talks about. Don't wait for that. Uh, Enough years have gone by with you doing it on your own and gritting your teeth. You're still in that place. Don't, Don't wait another year. Don't wait another Sunday. Take a step today to cultivate those kinds of relationships. The third point, the last point I want you to see is that the power of prayer is for anyone. The power of prayer is for anyone. We see this in the second part of verse 16. It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some of your translations say uh, it's effective. Verse 17, we get this picture of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet. It says that he was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so it says it's a righteous man that gives power to prayer, and then it gives us an example. If you're wondering, like, well, what does that look like, a righteous man? We see it in the person of Elijah. And at first glance, James's audience and our audience today would say, okay, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Well, that's not me. And especially as he mentions Elijah, Elijah was like a superhero in the Old Testament. The dude prayed for rain and it happened, right? And we have those people today in our lives, in our churches and and, and famous preachers. And we think, man, if that guy prayed for something, things would move, but not not me. And, And the reason James gives us this example is to squash that. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It works, not because of the person's worth but because of God's word. You see it in 1 Kings 17 and 18. You can go back and look at that later. Over and over, as you see Elijah praying for these miraculous things, you see the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord goes through Elijah. You see, the Elijah was praying a prayer of faith in accordance with God's word. Elijah wasn't perfect. Jesus is the only perfect person to ever live. Elijah wasn't perfect in that he was righteous. He was a person who said, God, I want to align my wants with your wants in your word. I want to align my wants with your wants in your word, and then I want to ask whatever I want. That, that the Lord delights in giving people the pleasures of their heart when they're his desires, when he begins to align our desires with his through his word. And so this morning, the, prayer of a power, the, the powerful prayer from a righteous person is effective, not because of your perfection, but because you're relying upon God's word, that you're putting yourself in line with God's design, with his words, just like Elijah did. And if you wonder about that, well, maybe, I don't know, Elijah, he does seem kind of special. James says he's a man with a nature just like ours. He's just like you. He's human. And see, the tendency is to elevate people and to think other people can pray powerful prayers, but, but we can't. And James is going to say, no, 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 you can too. It's a nature just like yours. And then in verse 6, 16, look at that again. It says, this works as it is working. This is effective. I think for many of us, the reason we don't pray is we don't believe that. For whatever reason, we don't think we're righteous enough. We don't think God is a a father. We just see him as a king, and and we don't think it's effective. And so some of us pray. We pray with kind of that eye halfway open. You ever do that? We're kind of squinting, and we're kind of saying, hey, this is a symbolic gesture. Like, I'll go through the motions, but when do we get to the good stuff? Like, when do we go out and do something? And James is going to say, no, no, no. 
Prayer is effective, practically. Like, it works. It helps bring about a desired goal. It works. Philip Yancey, who wrote a book on prayer, it's really good. I would highly recommend it. He gets into a lot on prayer, but he said this. He says, prayer is a risky adventure. Prayer is a risky adventure. The reason he says that is because when you pray and God begins to lay something on your heart through prayer and convict you of something, you have to move, right? You can't sit at a table full of food and say, God, we just want to thank you for this food. And God, we just want to pray for all the people in the world who don't have food and all the people in our neighborhood and our city who they don't have food. We just want to, want to pray for them. And God, just you would provide it. Make that happen. Now, can you get up from that table the same? Not if you really prayed. You see, we have a confusing thing in our culture right now with social, social media is we see a lot of bad things happen in life, and we say something really profound on Facebook, like, I'm praying for you, or like, how could this happen? But if we just talk about prayer, that's, that's where it stays. And we just go back and say, who liked that? A selfie. But I just, said, I just said something, see, I said something really profound about prayer. When you actually pray, not just the idea of prayer, not just a hashtag, when you actually pray, God moves. It's effective. It works. Okay? And so what I love about our church is yesterday, there was like 30 to 40 people gathered right behind here in this park who said, I don't want to just pray. I want to pray because it's powerful and effective. I want to move because I've prayed. And we want to help all these things we see in the world. We want to help and and move. And so prayer is effective. We don't need to see it as a symbolic gesture. It's a powerful work in and through our lives. So here's two things I'm going to ask you to do. As we launch into this series, we're going to get into a lot more about prayer. But two things Practical ways I want you to experience the power of prayer in your life. And the first one is really easy. Just come. Just come here. Every four weeks, all four weeks of this series, just commit to attend every one of these weeks. Uh, studies show that maybe people attend church once to twice a month. Right? And so I would just invite you to change that. As we start the new year, that you say, hey, we're going to be here every week to learn what God's word says about prayer. To break down our misconceptions of prayer and learn what God says about prayer. The second thing I want you to do is participate in this 21-day prayer and fast. Because we don't want you just to learn about prayer. We want you to experience it. And so you can grab it right now if you want to. Open it up. Uh, it has each day in here a theme for the day. It talks about fasting, what that looks like, and why you should fast. It has a scripture right in here that you can read. If you turn to the next page, it has notes that you can write things down. It has a prayer that you can just recite as you begin to stir up to pray. And there's 21 days of this. It'll take us all the way to the last sermon of this series. And I would invite you just to say, hey, I'm going to grab this. It's not going to hit the ground after this. I'm going to keep it in my Bible, and I'm going to go through this. I'm going to take a few minutes each day to participate in this. Fasting, if you're not familiar, Andrew Bonar said this about fasting. I think this is helpful. He said, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. And so as you think about, what what can I fast from? You can fast from anything that hinders prayer. So what is that for you? I don't know. Is it Netflix? Is it social media at certain parts of the day? Is it lunch? Maybe you can get away at lunch instead of on your lunch break eating. You go away and just say, I'm going to pray. Is it in your car? As soon as you get in your car, you immediately turn on the radio, turn on a podcast, and you say, I'm just going to 
going to fast from that. I'm going to give up that. And in my car every day for 21 days, I'm going to pray. It could be anything like that. Now, if you have a medical condition or something like that, you don't want to just fast from food all the time. Definitely talk to your doctor before you do something like that. But all of us can, can fast so that we can pray and experience this power of prayer in our lives. Here, here's my hope as we close this morning is that you would just not learn about prayer, you would experience the power and practice of it in your life. Uh, That it would start with you saying, Tim, I'm going to commit. I'm going to take this uh, guide. I'm going to come every Sunday, and and I want to see the power and practice in my life. That it would start as a discipline, but it would move from a discipline to a lifestyle. Like this, like uh, with me, coffee. I've had coffee for the last several days. In fact, not just the last several days. I'm on a pretty good streak right now. I wake up every morning and I have my coffee. And you know why I do that? Because I like the taste of it. I like the benefits that it provides me. I like to sit by a fire, not a real one, but the heater fire. And I like to to read and I like to have my coffee. And and I like the way it changes my perspective on a day as I I get that caffeine. Amen? Just me, okay. But, but I, I, I've seen the benefits. I've seen the power of coffee in my life. And so guess what? I don't have to wake up and think, grip my teeth. I'm going to have my coffee today, and you can't stop me. I don't have to do that. Do you? No, it's just part of our, our lifestyle. Why? Because we, we enjoy it, and we've seen its power, its benefits in our lives. My hope, my prayer for you is that prayer would become like that. That maybe at the beginning you would say, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit. I'm going to put together some times. And you do need to do that. But that over time you would see the benefits, that you would enjoy the taste of interacting with your heavenly father. And it would just become part of your lifestyle. You don't have to grit your teeth to do it. We see collectively as a church the power in prayer. And so we experience it daily in our lives. What could God do if we saw it like that? If we practiced prayer like that? Let's go on this journey together to find out. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you uh, for prayer. Thank you for the ability to talk to you and uh, talk to you in any circumstance, whether it's a high or a low or a best day or a worst day. God, I pray that you you would move us in our prayers. God, that we would start to practice prayer, that we would see that you are a good father who wants to hear from his kids and that we would storm your throne even this morning with sins that we need to confess with praises that we need to sing out and celebrate. God, there's power in that. God, help us, move us, stir us to pray. God, I pray that you would do that in our church. You would do that in our families. As we start this year, we would be a people, a church, who who prays and sees the power of it in our lives. Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.